0: This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse. Covering health and safety videos for rail, construction
1: and infrastructure projects nationwide.
0: And we're live. Welcome to this week's Safer Than Your Average, brought to you by my friend Olaf. And we'll get Jim Castle on the show this week.
1: The and, elder his friend, and his friend, and his friend, Ty the Dragon. This is Ty. Ty, <laughs> say hello to the general punters out there. Hello. <laughs>
0: Di, can
1: I can sit down on the floor and keep the cat happy. Right.
0: Jim is the elder statesman of the Iosh West Wester Scotland branch, and, and we're going to have awesome. a bit of fun this week doing the Christmas special. I've got a feeling this is going to be a good one.
1: That's only so, what they say in public. It's the, 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 the elder statesman. There are other other words used, but
0: never mind. <laughs> They're not for plight company, Jim. <laughs>
1: and that includes you and me. Yeah,
0: quite. Brilliant, brilliant. Okay, so if you just want to introduce yourself, Jim, tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Well, I'm Jim Tassel. Um, I used to describe myself as... A jobbing safety consultant of the Parish of Glasgow. Um, That's a bit out of date, but we'll get to that, no doubt, later on. Um, And, uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to wind down, finding it awfully difficult, you know. Um, There is life after work. Mm, Yeah, in COVID. I've got all sorts of plans that I've got, you know. Beginning of this year, wind down and do this and do that and do the other. We might even go to France on holiday. Hi, huh? right? Yeah, June holiday, France. Forget it. <laughs> um, but I suppose the first question really is, how did I get here? Well, that's a long and tortuous journey. Started in Cheshire, mm-hmm. uh, although I've been a Ouija for forty years, um, and uh, I had a wonderful countryside upbringing for um, the first few years. Um, I think there were three of us, um, three kids. Um, not my family, it was me. There was the son of the schoolmaster, and there was a granddaughter of the lady that ran the, the village shop. Um, and we were feral kids. We were out over the fields, you know, all over the place. Um, social work would no doubt have disapproved, but that's all right. We've got connections there. Uh, but we knew. Um, it was that sort of community where we knew that if there was a problem, we could knock at any of the back doors anywhere where we were. A would be recognised. B, we'd be looked after. And C, when we got home, there'd be trouble. Uh, but it would be in that sort of order. Uh, so it was, a, it was a great sort of upbringing. And that was the part of Cheshire, sort of south of, south of Nutsford, um, which was real. Yeoman farming country in the 50s. Um, yeah. I mean, I can I can remember the, the thrashing machine going around the farms every every September, um, towed by an ancient tractor. Um, now, all those small farms are now hobby farms owned by rich people from South Manchester who've moved out into the country so they can have a bit of land so they can keep three or four horses and a few Jacob sheep. Um That's probably not entirely fair on all of them, but uh, it has been a huge change since I left there. Um, uh, Are you getting that right? Um, So anyway, moved on. um, Ended up uh, in another part of Cheshire uh, before I went to university in Manchester. First employment. Actually, my first employment was at the age of 14 on a friend's farm. I was driving a tractor before I could drive a car. Uh, I was driving what even then was a truly ancient Fordson tractor. You started it on petrol, and when it had got hot, you turned it over to paraffin. So sitting right in front of you, steering wheel, petrol tank, engine underneath, <laughs> This is getting hot. It's got to get hot for the paraffin to work. Um, do I really? Yeah, it's one of those moments. Even at the age of fourteen or fifteen, you think, "Do I really want to be here?" Now, the reason I was there was because everybody else was bigger and hairier than me and could lift a bale. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just that they could lift a bale; that they could get a pikele, you know, the, the, the two-pronged, long-handled yeah. four, Get a pikele in and lift it up. Sort of ten feet for somebody on the on the trailer to catch it. Um, I was not that strong, so I was put on the on the tractor. Uh, you needed to stand up to work the clutch on it. But um, that's sort of first, I suppose, first employment. Then the first real employment between school and university, I spent seven weeks as a bus conductor. Okay. I worked for the Crosville in Chester. Well, from Chester, I worked, amongst other things, I worked the last bus out of Birkenhead on a Saturday night. Oh yeah, do you know what? All bar one of them, they'd got the exact fare there. It was one of the easiest buses ever to, to do. I spent all week sort of uh, not not looking forward to it, shall we say, stronger phrases could be used, but this is being broadcast. Um, but it was one of the easiest buses and it was for double decker, absolutely ramful. Um, and I think in seven weeks on the buses, I probably learned more than I did in seven years of secondary education. <laughs> it was spectacular. Um, and, uh, various things I learned about, uh, how you balance up the uh, cash bag. Um, we won't go there.
0: <laughs> <Brilliant, Jim>. Anyway, <laughs> moving swiftly on.
1: When I was a student, um, I ended up doing. Uh, it's a long story, and I'll cut to the chase. But uh, I ended up doing some work for the University, Manchester University Television Service. And mm-hmm. This was in the, the relatively early days of universities using television as a as a medium for for education. Uh, the medics were one of the first into it. Um, So uh, I was helping them. Um, Summer 1972, the new maternity hospital in Manchester opened. St Mary's Hospital opened, and the Queen came to open it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in those days, security with the royal family was not what it is now. So you got the street, Ablisage Road, front door, about 10, 12 yards from it. The plaque, the nice little uh, handle to pull, and the curtains, and, and a desk with a microphone, and and three cameras, and this was being recorded and relayed throughout the network, right across all the Manchester hospitals. They were all networked. I said, the, mm-hmm. and the medics were in on this early, um, so hundreds of patients were seeing this uh, absolutely live, and. Uh, Queen arrived and was ushered, just being ushered up the walkway, and a party of nurses were ushered in front of the three cameras. At which point, the director, who'd got Australian background, um, elapsed into Australian, shall we say, because he got the three shots of three the back of three other nurses' heads. The queen, no, head, 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 um, and you could, I think, imagine. In the tense moments what was passing. So Jim Tassel, old as they are, steps down off the beer crate that he's standing on, sticks his head around the camera and sort of tree can I get your bloody head out of the way? At which point the nurse did, so I got a nice shot of the Queen. Great, there we are. What I didn't realize until later, when the recording was played back, I, I knew that it was coming, but <laughs> you've got it, it was my husband and I, get your bloody head out of the way. I did
0: <laughs> so you interrupted the Queen's speech. <laughs> I,
1: over, I spoke over the Queen. <laughs> Real forward, Bill Eldridge, the director, bless him, lovely, lovely man. He did a third year option on television studies for the drama department. Uh-huh. I then went on and joined Her Majesty's Factory Inspectorate, uh, at which point Bill's oh line was, and you know what? She now employs him.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs>
1: and I did, I did various things for them along the way as well. I kept in touch for, for a little while. Um, I had some, some good friends there. Um, and I got a phone call. Like, this is after I'd started work. Sort of, Jim, what are you doing so Tuesday in a couple of weeks' time? Um, I don't know, give us a clue. What am I doing? Uh, can you take a day off? Yes. Uh, you're on a camera, right? Whitworth Hall, the big, you know, the classic big gothic hall where they did the, the, the graduations. And this was the honorary graduation ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was Alistair Cook, as in Alistair Cook Letter from America, mm-hmm. the, the great journalist. He'd refused or de- declined all sorts of degrees, but he was just actually a Salford man and had started out doing his uh, journalism in Manchester. So this kind of fitted. Um, and I was there. I was privileged to be up, up at the back and listening to this. Mm-hmm. Um, quite the best speech I have ever heard anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it was absolutely superb. Um, so I was, I was really, really privileged there. But that was, that was after I'd started work, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, I I stuck around Manchester for a year after my bachelor's degree and did a master's, uh, well, I did all the hard work for the master's, submitted it a bit later, um, then joined the factory inspectorate. Why did I get the factory inspectorate? Seemed a good idea at the time. (laughs) Uh, There weren't many, there weren't many exciting graduate jobs around that year, um, Rolls Royce were not recruiting. This is Rolls Royce had gone spectacularly, Bill Rolls Royce um, had gone spectacularly bust in, I think, in 71. Mm-hmm. Um, they thought they were going to use synthetic materials for the RB256 engine for the fan mm-hmm. blades. Um, and basically, they didn't work and they couldn't make them work and it took the whole firm down. Um, and there were some friends of mine who were sponsored by them through university. Uh, and all of a sudden, one day, there was no money. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, their sponsorship just, that was it. Um, and uh, the university actually was very good and looked after them. Um, and uh, they were all right. But that meant you know, that and various other things in the engineering industry, there were not very many sort of jobs around. So I was, well, I'll give it a try for a year or two. Um, so, I started out in Salford. Mm-hmm. Um, now, be careful because Salford is a city in its own right. Yeah. Um, some people don't realize it. I mean, up here, uh, it's a bit like if, if you accuse somebody in Salford of being a, being a Mancunian, it's a bit like accusing somebody in Paisley of being a Ouija.
0: <laughs>
1: Those of you in other parts of the world can you use your imagination, please. <laughs> <You know. laughs> um, Salford districts, the factory inspectorate, there were at that time, uh, I think it was 105 little districts, each of the district inspector doing everything that was there. So we had the whole of Salford, we had the whole of Trafford Park, the whole of basically the whole of Trafford north of the Mersey mm-hmm. um, to, to keep us entertained, two steelworks, petrochem, uh, food. The rubber industry, cloth coating, all sorts of things. Um, I was described as a heavy district because we were running at anything between six and eight fatal accidents a year, mm-hmm. just in that area. Which, if you look at the look at Manchester, sort of within the M60, and do the clock face thing, we were between about half past seven and eleven o'clock, mm-hmm. within the uh, within the mostly within the M60 yeah um so it was busy we'd got the docks Mm -hmm. uh to this day i still have difficulty going to salford keys because the memories are so strong from it Mm -hmm. um you know manchester liners were in and out every few days um with their container ships from manchester to montreal Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um then then in liverpool they built the 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 docks the big docks and uh, that's where they stopped rather than having the extra Nearly 24 hours transit up and down the ship canal. Yeah. Um, and actually, that was one of the reasons it went down. Uh, but we still had a regular, every 10 days, there was a freighter, traditional freighter, mm-hmm. that went from Manchester, um, used to go through the Med and through the um, uh, canal down to East, East Africa.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: because uh, of all the, the problems in Egypt, um, Suez Canal was closed, so it went, the if you like, the long way round rather the Cape. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um, and one particular day, it had come back in. Every every ten days, they'd got s- several hundred tons of asbestos, raw asbestos mm-hmm. on board. Uh, okay, it was all in sacks, it was palletized, it was overwrapped, it was you know, in a reasonably good state. Um, but there was this particular day where the, the Dockers Their social conscience was pricking them mm-hmm. Dirt money No, 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 not dirt money Heavens no No, 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 we're not just not sure whether This nasty stuff, asbestos ought to be Allowed out of the docks You know um, PPE, oh yeah, we wear the PPE I, I, Right um, But uh, ooh, You know and uh, the district inspector was called in and I was his gopher. I was his gopher on the docks anyway. Um, and so we started out with the uh with the union, so it's pint mugs of tea. Um, then we went and had a look, and then we came back and we ended up in the dock manager's office. So it was twelve o'clock. And it's the only time it's ever happened to me where there was him, one of his sidekicks, my boss, me, and he opened an office drawer he pulled out four glasses and a bottle of whiskey and said lunch <laughs> um, yeah one of my other jobs on the docks was um, there were timber boats that came in from Riga every so often and that mm-hmm. was a double handed job my job I was expendable I would drink the vodka with the captain while the boss did the hard work with the stevedores um <laughs> Uh, you know, and it, you, you, there were moments where you had to laugh because this, this time of year, that is to say, November, right? There's a ship coming up the ship canal and it needs the benefits of rent kill because something needs um, killing off. It's got some bug somewhere. So the guy, as instructed in his van, he turned up at uh, 8 dock at uh, 4 o'clock in the morning, thereabouts. Ship? No ship. It was still somewhere stuck in one of the... Uh, Um, half halfway up the the ship canal, stuck Mm in one of the uh, the locks. So he thought, I'll go to sleep, leave the engine running, need a bit of warmth in the cab, you know, have a kid. Next thing he knew, he woke up and it was dark and wet and cold. He'd somehow he'd knocked it into gear and it had driven just diagonally, driven off the edge, the edge of the dock and sploosh, you know. And he swam for it. He didn't drown, he swam for it, swam to the side, and you know, grabbed a passing docker and said, More hands down there, all oh, that's the effect. Uh, so uh, there's a bit of panic and the uh, the manager was sent for it. get the get the crane. So they got the bar crane. Diver, diver went down, sling, up. And they did the right thing. They brought it gradually out of the water to allow it all to drain out so they didn't overload the crane. You know, these guys knew what they were doing. And slewed it round. And just as it slewed round, although he'd actually lifted the hook as high as he could, it just caught the edge of the dock. And he didn't realize. He thought he could drag it over. He didn't drag it over. He dragged the whole lot in, in. So, so, this time we ended up with a rental van with a mobile crane on the top of it. <laughs> and a ship wanting to get in. Well, there were plenty of berths, so the ship was sent to another berth. At which point it was choice language get the floating crane. The floating crane, which I think dated back to about 1900, steam powered. 250 ton capacity, right? It did not muck around. It's basically a barge with a big crane on it. Yeah. And they always kept the boiler warm because they never knew when they, they would need it. So firing it up from cold, seriously, takes several hours. Um, and if you just keep a, a low fire in it, you don't need to keep up steam, but it's it's much, much quicker. So they were go fairly quickly. And it really was a case of, right, lift a whole lot out in a one off to the side, while up, sort that out. Well, of course, this was reported to the factory inspector as a dangerous occurrence, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, Jim, go and investigate that and have a laugh.
0: <laughs> How did you write the report for that one, Jim? With considerable
1: difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those ones where you, sort of, you write the facts, and the facts speak for themselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it wasn't, we joke about it, it wasn't always that simple. Um, there were certainly a couple of fatals on the docks that I had to deal with. So, you, you know, work both ways. Um... And uh, Sulfur was an interesting place because about 40% of our work up until 1977 was uh, fire safety work. Mm -hmm. Uh, And people sometimes forget that prior to 77, the factory inspector was responsible for enforcing fire certificates in factories. Mm -hmm. Um, And after the James Watt Street fire in Glasgow, Barbara Castle, who was then a minister, bless her, I, I met Barbara Castle on one occasion, and uh, she did nothing but go up in my estimation for various reasons. At that meeting, um, she gave an assurance to Parliament that every quote, high fire risk premises would be visited every year by the factory inspector.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, when you took the, the criteria for high fire risk, that was most of that was most of old Salford, yeah, because it was old textile mills. It was mostly. Um, yeah, mostly old mill buildings that have been run down, multi-occupancy, mm-hmm. um, dodgy landlords, the whole lot. Um, so actually, I had a very good grounding in fire safety, most of it courtesy of one George Peat, who was the Senior Fire Prevention Officer for the, the Salford Fire Station. He still thought that he worked for the City of Salford Fire Brigade, he actually worked for Greater Manchester Fire Brigade, but. Yeah, see my earlier comments about Paisley and uh, <laughs> Paisley <laughs> and Glasgow. Um, so we were reorganized, um, uh, 21 areas rather than 100 and odd little districts, and I ended up doing, oh, paper and printing and rubber. I, it's funny; there are odd industries where even now, if somebody were to come along and say, "Do you know the uh, such and such?" I would just uh, say, It'll take me a few minutes to get back up to speed, but I I still have the grounding in it. Mm -hmm. The paper industry actually was another one. Uh, And for a long time, until sadly they closed, I had had a client who was in in the paper industry uh, over in the east of Scotland. Um, And certainly the grounding I had in Manchester was was great, and I couldn't have done it without. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd got the biggest newspaper print works in Europe. Grove. It's now called the Print Works in Manchester, mm-hmm. and they were bunging out. If I remember, I think it was 17 million copies a week of various newspapers. Mm-hmm. All the old-fashioned letterpress, the hot metal, traditional print. Seven print unions, 59 chapels in the place, each yep. chapel being, you know, a trade union um, grouping. Mm-hmm. Um, fascinating place to deal with um, I, I'd had them on the books for a few months and my boss sent for me and he, he, he had a speech problem anyway but the, the added problem it was always a cigarette so I had difficulty understanding what he said anyway I uh, come in Jim sit down and, and he spent about 10 minutes going around in circles about with grove I said to him, Yeah, Laurie, what's this all about? Ah, Laurie, what's it? Laurie, what's this all about? Ah, Laurie, can't help you if you don't tell me. Ah, I haven't shown you this. And he passes a three page letter across to me, headed, if I remember right, that's Open Night Machines Chapel. And I read it and I thought, and I looked at the name and I recognized the name, Yogi Bear. Well, no, whatever the name was, but Yogi Bear. I'll explain that in a moment. And I burst out laughing, wrong, wrong, because this letter, when you looked at it carefully had been written to the chairman of the Health and Safety Commission.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It had started out in London in the chairman's office, and all sorts of people that looked at it. This is sort of Yes Minister stuff. Yeah, they'd looked at it at I don't know, what, I don't know, where is, it? Uh, where is it? Oh, send it to Manchester! Gus Wood, the area director, had looked at it and thought, Whizzy Grove. Laurie, deal with it. So it came down to me. And it wasn't a complaint about me, it was an incoherent rant about all sorts of things. So, well, what were we going to do? And as I say, Laurie Laurie had difficulty understanding how he was going to write a reply that was going to work its way all the way back up to the chair of the Health and Safety Commission, no less. When the guy he really knew had burst out laughing. (laughs) Ah, problem, right. So I said, Laurie, would you like to go and meet Yogi Bear? Oh, I think I better had. what's his real name? I said on the letter. All right. Uh, well, Howie, I said he's on shift, but it'll be he only does sort of three nights a week at Withy Grove. The other two, is, the other two, he goes and works at the other print works and signs on, paid in cash, and he signs on as Yogi Bear. And all the printers, the, the, the way it worked was you work for three nights for your employer, and then through your union. You worked as a casual at one of the other print works for however many nights you wanted. Paid in cash. So there was, you know, Father Christmas, there was Yogi Bear, there was you name it. <laughs> uh, shortly afterwards, the, 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 the Inland Revenue said enough. As of the 1st of January, next year, you will all sign on, you will be on the books. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So we had to set up the meeting. So I, I said, look, do you want me to phone my contact? Oh, could you? So I literally, Laurie's office picked up the phone. I don't I need the phone number. Uh, my boss would like to meet uh, Yogi Bih. Oh yes, Jim. Is it about the letter? Uh couldn't poss- I'll take that as a yes, you know. <laughs> And he'd of course he'd come in to work the next night giving it the yak about how he was going to shut the place down because he'd written to the chair of the Health and Safety Commission and so on and so forth. They went went round the whole place. Wrong, because of course he wrote on chapel notepaper without getting the committee's approval first. Uh-huh. So by the time Laurie saw him, he was the ex-secretary of the chapel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uh. That was it. You're off. I never managed to get to see Laurie's reply. I'd have paid anything to see it. I never managed to get to see it. I did have a hint from Gus with the area director that Gus rather understood better what had been happening than perhaps the, it said on paper. Um, a lot of time for, for the area director. Um, so I had all sorts of fun fun and games in Manchester um, and then there came a point where we had we all moved um, because it was good for you, and actually it was uh, you did your training somewhere, then you moved somewhere else, um, mm. but it was expensive and uh, there were upheavals um, but I, I did the one thing that nobody expected I was given a choice of inner London the southeast, East, being as uh, or Scotland. Nobody ever wanted to go to Scotland. Well, I didn't fancy going to Inner London. I knew not to go to East Grinstead because the office had a terrible reputation. So I thought, oh, so, so I did. That's what brought me to Scotland. You know? Yeah. We might as well finish the interview now. You know, <laughs> 40 <laughs> years later, I'm, I'm still here.
0: So what year was that then, Jim? That was 1980.
1: Okay. So okay. I came up here. Uh, and in fact, Uh, I went on to an industry group, but amongst other things, we had the Western Isles. Mm -hmm. Now, I was still single, and shortly to change that, but still single, so the boss said, right, you can do the Western Isles. None of the rest of us want to go because we've got families. Right? So, I flew to Stornoway fairly shortly after I would come to to Glasgow. The old, uh, it was, by that time it was pretty shareways, but the It was an old Viscount of British European Airways. If you knew how to check in, you could get in the front seven rows because it was a two class aeroplane Mm -hmm. being run as a one class aeroplane, but you could still sit in the first class if you asked nicely, Mm -hmm. which was the front seven rows. Now I got to Stornoway and I found a postcard and I sent it to my boss back in Manchester and said, Yeah. You certainly don't fly to Wigan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did a lot. Uh, I did a lot. Um, a couple of fatalities to deal with up there. Um, Joking apart, but uh, I, uh, during the eighties, I was flying around the Western Isles actually a, a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I just, I still have a soft spot for Loganair. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do. So anyway, after a lot of sort of toings and throwings. Um, there came a point where I was temptable and I jumped ship um, uh, after 15 years as the factory inspectorate in, in 1988, uh, and I joined a, a, an outfit called Hinton and Hinks Consultants Limited, mm-hmm. head office Ab- in Abingdon, Oxfordshire. Um, we need a man in, in Scotland. Yeah, they didn't tell me that Scotland included Northern Ireland. <laughs> uh, this was well before the, uh, the Good Friday Agreement. Yeah. Um, in fact, there was one occasion when I was over there, um, a couple of nights. And <laughs> we were doing work for a firm in, in, in London Dairy or Derry, depending on you know, your flavour. Um, and it got to the middle of the afternoon. I'd, I'd turned up at the airport. Police had said, where are you staying tonight? I said, don't know. It's being organised by the client. Oh, all right, um, And middle of the afternoon, I said, you've forgotten, haven't you? What have I forgotten, Jim? You've forgotten to book me a hotel tonight, haven't you? Back in a minute. Yeah. Disappears out, comes back. It's all right. Being organized right now. Good. Um, And their favorite hotel was full. So I was booked into somewhere just up the road. Not perfectly adequate. Um, Stayed overnight, set off the next morning, went and did a couple of store visits for well-known DIY retailer, and we'll get to it. Um and called in at the Willis office in Belfast. Mm-hmm. Are you all right, Jim? Yeah. Where were you staying last night? Oh, I stayed at Whitehorse. Oh. Was you all right? Yeah. Uh, what time did you check out? Tonight. Oh, you, you're all right then? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Ah, they're clients of ours. Well, they were clients of ours until about half past 10. They were in receivership, Mm -hmm. and the receiver wasn't paying the dropsy, and somebody arrived at 10.30 in the morning and said, here's a parcel for you, you've got half an hour. (laughs) Straightforward business transaction. So by the time I got to the office in the middle of the afternoon, it was a, well, it a hole mod- in the ground it was well, not quite but the front <laughs> of it had been modified <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, i have the greatest of sympathy oh yeah part greatest of sympathy for the people who lived there yeah, lived there yeah.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: uh, and looking at the present political yeah uh, let's not start on the political situation um so anyway uh, we did all sorts of work um it soon became Jim as one of the team. Uh, you know the food industry, don't you? Yeah. And um, we've had this phone call from a firm. They re- I think you need to go and help them. Where are they? Uh, they're just south of Chichester. This is Chichester, Sussex. Yes. Um, am I driving down there? Or am I flying to Gatwick or what do we do? Oh, didn't cost that in. <sighs> you know. So, uh, there were occasions on um, the classic sort of 4 o'clock Friday, che- last check-in with the office, you know, everything all oh, right. has Terry spoken to you? Terry was the MD. No. Oh, um, hang on, hang on. Oh, Jim, uh, what are you doing on Monday? I'm writing reports, why? Um, you were. Do you know where Hull is? Yeah. Does the name Kappa Pass mean anything? I said, really. So I was... Big tin refining, You're there Monday. There's a problem. What's the problem? Don't know. You've got to go and find out. <laughs> oh Great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've got around the country. Um, there were various sort of admin things. Willis, the insurance brokers, took over um, at various points. Well, they managed to turn a £4.5 million pound business into a Half a million pound business in three years mm-hmm. that's that takes good management that yeah you know, to really knock it down like <laughs> that you know. um, and one of the one of the principal clients um, surviving at that point was actually being we've been doing good for B&Q for many many years um, which is why it was no surprise when I jumped ship and, uh, and joined them mm-hmm uh, I had five happy years with being killed, nearly five. If you include sort of a few months to, uh, just beforehand when I wasn't officially on the boat. Um, mm. Five happy years with being killed. We were some lovely people. Uh, great fun. Great fun, except that we had to two with environmental health officers. <laughs> most of whom are a very highly respected professionals. It's just
0: that not always... The uh, off from the Safer Than Your Average podcast, all the views of the guests are their own and do uh, not reflect uh, the podcast view on life.
1: <laughs> all the views of IOSH, all the views of anything else. is it, it, his crusty Jim, you know, uh, saying how it is. Um, <laughs> no, in fairness, we had a... a, a there were, Uh, An awful lot who I dealt with, um, very professional, very proper. But yeah, not always easy. But yeah, the right sort of people to deal with. Um, We had some who were completely. uh, One guy, he was in one store for thirty-nine hours in one week. Now, how do you justify that? He thought that he discovered, I think it was 118, or 108 118 unreported accidents under Riddle, simply because we got an entry in an accident book. Mm. Um, so he prosecuted for three of them, and we started out on a Monday morning. Um, it was actually before I joined BQ, and I was, so was a witness for them um, in a magistrate's court in Hull and uh, the barrister for being accused, said, Jim, when you were in the factory inspector, if you wanted to prove a case for not reporting an accident, what evidence did you use? He said, well, you'd produce the district clerk, or the group clerk, um, and their post, basically their post book, because every accident report that came in, and they, all, they were all by post, um, was logged. So there will be a log, um, get, them, get them to produce that. Well, oh, they haven't produced it, they haven't shown it to us yet. So, ten to ten, he gets hold of the council solicitor and says, look, council offices are just across the road. Can you go across and get the book and bring, you know, the person who makes the entries because we want to hear from them? Silence. Somebody disappeared. Half past ten. And we've got the bench sort of sitting there. So, what's going on? Come 11 o'clock. Yeah, somebody senior arrives saying, what was he wanted? Oh, we want your record of all the inbound uh, accident reports. Ah, I don't think we've got one of those. At which point the council solicitor I think realised how big the hole had opened up that he was trying to prevent The jumping into. Um, So uh, no evidence was offered and the case by lunchtime had folded. But it hadn't quite folded because the chair had been dragged in. I think he was going to go hunting. And he'd been dragged in to hear this case and he'd had the morning hanging around drinking second-rate coffee and he was hacked off. And even without being asking, he made a he made a wasted costs order against the council oh, off his own bat. <laughs> right. Well, that meant round two was you know gloves were off. Um, well, before we got to round two, the council solicitor had seen enough and thought, oh yeah, we'll just run these other cases past council. So they went over they went over to Manchester and had a word with council. Um, and we heard sort of kind of through the back door. The council's view was uh, drop these. Now, if you can get out with and uh, persuade BNQ to cover their own costs, you'll be lucky. Just you know, exit with what grace you have left. And, and in fairness, they did. Mm-hmm. The tag to it was that about 18 months later, there was a report about the effects of stress in environmental health. Mm-hmm. And it was written about this particular inspector um, and various problems that had, had occurred mm-hmm. and why he was no longer working in Hull. Yeah. Um, and reading it, you think it's a, it was, a, in some respects, a sad conclusion to the tale. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one of these ones where real life just occasionally comes up and bites you. Yeah. Um, but we had, we had all sorts of challenges there, with challenges from the great British shopping public as well. Um, I think anybody in retailing will recognize that one. Um, so uh, and eventually there came a point where um, after the banking collapse in 2008. Um, mm-hmm. Things were looking very bad, um, and two of us who were of us at senior level, uh, the, the fire safety guy was extremely good, um, Dave Ball, and I, you know, it was sort of grade 8s your grade eights, we don't want grade eights anymore, you know, here's someone money, go away. I thought, I um, but uh, there were some lovely people there, know, some of I stood in touch with. They um, came back to Glasgow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'll pick up where I left off. In the trouble was, uh, most of the people that I knew had either moved on, died, or the firm had gone bust. Mm-hmm. So um, well, yeah, these things happen. Uh, so I've uh, been keeping myself entertained with consultancy. Of course, the problem is, you get to know the firms that you're dealing with, and you get to know the people. And some of them, yes, I'm happy to happy to take money off them, but they're they're friends as well as as mm-hmm. well as clients. Um, So that's what's got me to the point, and I'm now sort of gradually, not down, so years I've not been taking anything new, Um, and bit by bit, when the opportunity comes, uh, I'm sort of moving people on. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: Mm -hmm. There are one or two, well, one or two, you think, who actually knows, do I know a consultant around? in Scotland at any rate, do I know a consultant who really knows this industry? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because one of the things that I've always had to be mindful of is there are limits to what I know. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't do offshore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't do heavy petrochem. I don't do, I, I don't do prime construction facilities management, yes. But when we get out onto the big heavy sites, not really my scene. Um I had to sort of field the construction operations for Hinton and Higgs in the early 90s on more than one occasion in Scotland, North England. Jim, um, various things have gone pear-shaped. Can you, you know, can you look after it? Um, so I did, but that was, that was mostly the house builders.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but the big jobs, not really my scene. Um, so always, you, you know, I think I, it's something I'd say to any consultant is just be careful, be mindful of what what you know. That's not to say that you shouldn't go into industries you don't know, but don't go with any false ideas. Of, oh, well, I know all about safety management systems and they're saying wherever you go. It isn't. Uh, You've know, you just got to be careful as to what you do where you go. Mm-hmm.
0: So what's been your biggest challenge in health and safety then, Jim, over your long and illustrious career?
1: Do you know the biggest single challenge? It was handing in my warrant after 15 years in the factory inspector, or the Mm -hmm. the HSE as it had become. The huge, huge sort of change in mindset from, even though I never waived the warrant, very rarely, had to waive the warrant or even show it to people surprising sometimes the number of people who took it on trust um, the mere fact that I had the warrant in my top pocket um, huge comfort blanket you go into consultancy and you know you're only as good as your last consultancy job mm-hmm. um, and that was a huge perspective perspective change um, beyond that, I think um, some of the some of the expectations, particularly at one time was in Willis, as to, Jim, this firm are deeply in the clag. Um, can you go and get them out the clag? And it's, you know, even when you've got the magic wand on turbo, you can't mm. really help or there's a limit to what you can do. Um and there are some managers who um, I couldn't get through to. There are occasions, and there are occasions you away and think, I've done my best but I know it's not good enough.
0: Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it can be a tough situation, that as well, can't it? That you know well, you're giving your best advice to them and they're just not going to take it.
1: That's it. That's it. Uh, and there are occasions where you, you walk away with as much sort of Grace and understanding as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, you're afraid something's going to unravel. So mm-hmm. a couple of occasions, I know that it did do. Right. Um, sure. There are, I mean, there are one or two that, frankly, even today, I, I oughtn't to talk about mm-hmm. because they are, you know, there are various contentious aspects to them.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, which, funnily enough, one of uh, well, two of them were actually. You know, you know how health and safety is not a watertight box; and it flows over into other things. Yeah. Um, and you end up. Um, I ended up on a couple of occasions talking to people, and the conversation rather seriously strayed into what we would now call safeguarding
0: mm-hmm.
1: and child protection. Um, and all my instincts are saying, stop the conversation, get out of this as fast as you can, this is not your field, you know, back off. Mm-hmm. But it's easier to think it than do it sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you rack it down as fast as you can and, and as decent way as you can. Um, but certainly in two cases, um, I was party to information that, frankly, I shouldn't have been.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and subsequently, reading the newspapers and watching the television, you think that was the story that some years, in one case certainly some years before, um, I was trying very hard not to get involved in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so there are occasions when you have to listen to that little voice somewhere at the back that says, "Hang on, hang on, that's so fast, Jim." <laughs> uh, so you've got to be a bit cautious. Yeah. Um, you know, now I'm trying to wind down
0: -hmm. So what advice would you give to someone starting out in health and safety today Jim because you've had a long spectacular career in all different areas of industry as a consultant, as a factories inspector through into the HSE and then through your career with one of the biggest retailers in the UK as well what advice would you give to someone that Maybe decides today. Today's the day that I decide this is my career and I'm going to go into this field.
1: You're going to go into the field. I think I would say you're going to go into the field, but ask yourself which bit of the field you're going into. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of your earlier podcasts where I think somebody said it's diff- construction is its own world. Mm-hmm. Um, And there are a lot of people in health and safety in construction who do an extremely good job in construction.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But construction, for the sake of argument, construction is not retailing. Mm -hmm. Retailing is not construction. Um, And you need to have a grasp of what industries, what businesses you're going to go into. Because the moment you get beyond writing a generic sort of management system, mm-hmm. so you're going to have to understand how a particular business or particular industry ticks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I was very lucky uh, in my grounding in Salford because that I think the joke was that, yeah, we've got one of everything. The one yeah. we got was the one that time forgot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, for somebody interested in this, in the, in, industrial archaeology like me, oh, it's wonderful. Um, you know, you go to the, the plate yard of Mather and Platt. Mm-hmm. Mather and Platt used to be a huge manufacturing industry in, um, over in East Manchester, but they got a little boiler yard where they started out in Salford and then they never, never got rid of it. And it had got a plate cutter in it, which I'm convinced dated back to about
0: 1850. Right. OK.
1: A huge thing, and it was like a pair of scissors that would cut two inch plate, mm-hmm. but it was, was only it- a blade, only about that long, and it took straight you know, yeah. through. Um, quite extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been a number of occasions where, um, a couple of fairly recent cases where I went to see a firm, I, I was doing a job for one for the, of for the insurers. Bet you've never seen one of these before, Jim. So do I have oh, it's, it's decoiler. What do you mean? Um, yeah, we've got the only two in Scotland. I. I didn't say I'd seen them in Scotland, did I? All <laughs> ah, right. Yeah. Um, and uh, there was another one where I went to a, a firm and uh, um, we went in to see the processing big processing area, and uh, he said, but you've not seen one of those before? I said, oh, I have a stentor. How do you know that? He said, well, first off, I know that there's some more in Scotland that you don't think you know about. Where I? Oh, I'm not telling you that. Um, not competitors, but you know, somebody else is using stentors for something. Hmm. I said, Manchester? All the, all the cloth treatments and Industry is a, is a textile machine. Um, yeah, I can come up here, but I started out in Salford. And before even I started out in Salford, I've got family connections in, the, in, in that industry. So I've known what a stentor is since I was about 14. Right. <laughs> um, now, there are occasions where you need to be able to have credibility. Um, and some of the credibility comes from having a skid mark up here. Uh, and some of the credibility comes because you've built it up. Um, and without necessarily always naming names, you're able to give you know, enough of a credibility that I actually know what this is. So when I, st- I started up here talking to a particular paper mill, um, they knew that I knew because, kind of, I knew the words. I knew what the words meant. I could look at something and say, "I know what that is." And if you'd yeah. not been in a paper mill before, you wouldn't. Yeah. Um, and it's all very well to say, you know, it's uh, and rightly it's a the profession. It's a graduate entry profession that we're looking at. Um, but you're still dealing with the sharp end. Mm-hmm. Um, and my advice when you're dealing with the sharp end is trust the guys on the shop floor. Mm-hmm. It's the old rule that says if you want to know what's happening in the school, that's the janitor. Yeah. You know. You need to be able to talk to the shop floor. Gives the people there their space. Gives them their respect. Um, so you get to know what's going on. Yeah, Retailing, don't just sit in the front office, get out on the shop floor and talk to the, the, the staff who are serving the customers. Mm-hmm. Um, for example. Um, I think the other thing is just remember that there's five million or so people in this country whose reading age is less than that of 11. hmm functionally illiterate, um, unable to read more than very simple English. So if you're drafting documentation, think about who you're writing for.
0: Yeah, that's excellent advice,
1: Yeah, it's the KISS principle. Keep it simple. The final S you can put in depending on who you're talking to. So <laughs> stupid. Yeah, I, I leave it to you. Yeah. But it, it's the KISS principle. Um, the Red Tops. There was a time. I, I don't know if it's still true, but uh, the Red Tops had a rule that um, they had a, they intended any any writing in their papers to be readable by somebody with a reading age of eleven.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and it's actually it's a very good discipline. Um, it's dead easy. I, I I actually fell into this one when I was working in the HSE. And, uh, we were writing some guidance on um, food preparation machinery for the retailers. This is the, the bacon slicers, mixers, that sort of thing. And, oh, it's dead easy to write, sort of, you dash it off in a style, sort of, oh, Daily Telegraph-ish. Yeah, 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 I forget. And then somebody said to him, you know, technically right, but you've, hit, you've not hit the readership. You know, the readership is. If you if you look at the the newspapers that are sitting uh, on the desk of the guy who's reading this, you know, it isn't the Telegraph. It's the it's the Sun or the Mirror. And you've got to configure it at that level. Which I did. Well, I and Douglas Cameron, uh, um, we did. We got it right. we went off to the head office uh, to the HSE's publicity people, and they said. You can't write it like that. What well, we just did. Oh, it's far too direct. It's ooh, they, they were, actually our boss, bless him, um, fought that battle and to a large extent won it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a long time, it was one of the biggest selling publications. It's, it's out of print now, but uh, one of the biggest selling publications that the HSC had. Uh, and uh, that proved to me this sort of Work out who you're writing for. There's always two two ways of writing a report anyway. Who you're you writing for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, trust the shop floor. Do with them. Oh, and never say no. Always it's no, but. <laughs> Sometimes have to do a bit of fast thinking as to where the buck's going to take you, but it's it's never, it, very, very rarely do you want to be in a position of saying to, to whatever's being proposed. No, no way, absolutely not. Um, I have, I, I really only said it about twice, and once was actually to a store manager who I knew in Nottingham, and he phoned me up and said, Jim gave me a particular situation. And I said to him, you really want me to say no, don't you? He said, well, I do, really. I said, I am. And for very good reason, actually. I'm saying no, no way. Uh, Somebody come up with a bright idea, and it was was not a bright idea, shall we say. (laughs) Um, But uh, always, you need to try to steer people in the right direction. Sometimes you don't see it coming. But, uh, you know, you try to see it coming. Uh, so never, ever say, never, ever say flat no. Um, there, there is a breed of person in health and safety who is the power mad. You'll have dealt with them. Everybody on the receiving end of this will, will bring one of them to mind, who is the the little Hitler. Um, yeah. Oh, you can't do that. Oh, no, no, no. And he'd probably quote the law at you as well. Um, uh, regulations, so, 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 yeah. yeah. Now mm-hmm. tell me what I can do. Now find me the way round it. Find me the way through it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, very that, much a solutions-oriented business, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, don't just say I've got a problem. I, I know that anyway. It's, it's as you say, it's a solutions business. Give me the, give me the answer to the solution.
0: Yeah. yeah so what's next in the future then jim where are you going next what's retirement going to look like for you are you going to retire <laughs>
1: <laughs> well some years ago uh, my wife and my daughter pinned me against the wall and said you know act your age not your shoe size um <laughs> yeah i'm trying to um uh, and to uh, you apart um there will be a gradual sort of cutting down on what I'm doing. Um, there are one or two clients who I'd be very loath to give up. Um, yeah. But they're people I'm very close to, uh, mm-hmm. one, for one reason or another. Um, but that yeah, the time will come, and it's the right time to do it. Um, I had, at the beginning of the year, I had this plan. Um, amongst it, we were, oh, we'll go, off to, we'll go off to France for a few nights in June. Uh, have a bit of a break. There's some family research I want to do in France. My my grandmother, my father's mother was French. Um, So there was a bit of family history I wanted to chase up. Um, Mm -hmm. Getting to France in June, forget it. Um, Various other sort of things that I might wish to do. Right now, forget it. yeah, only about one thing that I can do from home, and that's order from the wine society. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, 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 must admit, I do feel some constraint because there are various things that I, I might want to explore, but under present circumstances, you know, yeah, I'm, I I tick a lot of the boxes for being high risk, so I didn't even mm-hmm. think of it,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, so it's a bit of a dull way to pay off. I know it's a wonderful payoff line. I'd like to be able to say, I've got it all sorted. I'm going to, no, 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 no. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm, going to do the other. <laughs> I'm not a golfer. Actually, I was warned when I came to Glasgow. Uh, I, I said him, What's this golf? Oh, Jim, no, 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 no. Uh, golf is not a game. Golf's not a game, it's a disease.
0: <laughs>
1: right? And some of the people who suffer worst from this disease actually are medics. <laughs> right. So I've never really seen taken up.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. If we just sum up from your Jim, we want to wish everybody that's viewed the podcast over the year a Merry Christmas. Oh, absolutely.
1: Year. You know, we uh, we We're go out in as in. we came in, don't we? You know, There you go. <laughs> there you go. I'll never <laughs> live this one
0: down, but I've uh, got <laughs> a thick enough skin that I'm sure I'll manage to. <laughs> Brilliant. So, no, it was fantastic having you on the show, Jim. If anybody's young and up-and-coming in health and safety and wants to reach out to Jim, you'll find him in the West End. If you take him out and buy him a couple of drinks or a breakfast once the places start to open back up, he would be happy to give you some of his anecdotes and experience. That, that's and my know. kind
1: of talk you're talking. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: You can also find them at the IOSH West of Scotland meetings as well. he will be looking at the back. Don't be afraid to go up and speak to them and get some information out of them. So, on behalf of the, the Safer Than Your Average podcast, Jim, thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate it. You've been a great sport with a great laugh. And this podcast will be going out on Christmas Eve. So, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all the viewers. Thanks Merry Christmas to, you, to, right to you
1: and all of your family.
0: And to you, Jim, and to you. Yeah okay okay thank you very much everybody. Bye. this podcast is sponsored by inside out group the specialists in high risk and challenging filming and time-lapse covering health and safety videos for rail construction and infrastructure projects nationwide